I want to start though with something, well, my, my topic is no pain, no praise, um, motivational enhancement and the meaning of life. And I want to look at this question of whether motivational uh, enhancement, enhancing not our capacities, cognitive or physical, but our, our motivation, might undermine the grounds for praise and desert. Uh, but I want to start with this film, Gadigal, which I think illustrates this very popular idea of the importance of uh, struggle and pain to, to achievement, and indeed being praised for what we can achieve. And then I'll talk a little bit about some of the objections I've had in my arguments relating to doping in sport, and then summarise the sort of idea that Hannah and I are exploring in this paper. So the film Gadiga uh, is um, it's a film from uh, the late 90s by the time of the Human Genome Project. So many of you will have seen it. And it's regularly trotted out as an objection to my views about genetic selection as the sort of end game for genetic selection. And it involves the story of a man called Vincent in a world where genetic selection is widespread and people's genes are all determined at the moment of their birth and their position in society is effectively determined by the genes that they're born with. And it's a story of two brothers, Anton and Vincent. Uh, and Anton the, uh, is the, the genetically gifted brother who has you know, all the, the sort of genes for intelligence, <coughs> beauty, strength, and he's destined for this wonderful life. And Vincent is this, we say in English, mongrel, sort of, you know, he's got heart defects, he has to wear glasses, he's puny, he's, and his parents, his parents love the genetically gifted one and, and sort of despise the sort of weaker Vincent. And it's the story of Vincent who is never able to, never given any opportunities in life, uh, whereas Anton has fantastic career, becomes head of the Secret Service, the <coughs> intelligence agency, uh, and Vincent is written off. But all the while he has this determination to, to go into space, which is kind of really cheesy American uh, movie. And, uh, and so he, he just doggedly uh, you know, pursues this dream while being a cleaner in the space, the space um, space facility and, and always dreaming of finally getting into space. And it's a story of how he eventually realises his dream through sheer determination uh, and strength of will. And the idea is behind this film is that our fate isn't determined by our genes, it's determined by our fibre, our humanity, our determination, our strength of will. And I just want to play this this one scene that captures this aspect of the theme of the film. Um, the two brothers always had this swimming competition uh, where they would swim out to sea and swim back and, and always the genetically gifted brother would win because he was stronger you know, and, and, and better off than genetically gifted um, Anton. But this is late in the film when Vincent has been able to sneak his way into the space program and his brother, the, the head of intelligence, realises that he's actually not meant to be, he's not who he says he is. He 
taken on the persona of Jerome, who was a genetically gifted person destined for the space program. And they decide to have a final swim. <laughs> it's kind of a way of deciding whether he will, he will uh, turn him in. And so this is, this is the scene of the final swim after years of uh, Vincent being beaten by his brother. So Inissus captures this idea of the human spirit. And I've been writing on doping in sports for years. And one of the commonest objections I get to doping is that it will remove the need for effort. And that it's really effort that should be determining the outcome of uh, hey, the, the outcome of competition. And in this case, uh, it's really Vincent's effort that gets him into space. And it's the, it's the effort that's rigged. And so the world anti-doping agency has three criteria for banning a, a substance. One is that it's unsafe, two is it's performance enhancing, and the third is it's against the spirit of sport. And what many people understand to be the spirit of sport is, uh, is essentially this criterion of human, the human component, the human element of uh, being able to determine the outcome. So people will say, if we allow doping, it's going to be the pharmaceutical companies that determine the outcome. It will no longer be you know, a test of human, of human uh, contribution. So in this sense, uh, it's, and many people give this objection to say the use of steroids. And my response to this has always been, look, even if somebody enhances their physical capacities or their cognitive capacities, they still need to exert effort in order to win. Lance Armstrong used to train for seven hours a day. If you take steroids and don't engage in training, it'll have no effect. All that steroids do is amplify the uh, effects of your effort. So effort is still necessary to, to determine the outcome. But something like bionic limbs or blades uh, would be something that would remove a substantial amount of of effort, it would significantly determine the outcome. So somebody like Oscar Pistorius, in my view, I've always said, should not be allowed to take part in the able-bodied Olympics because the construction of the blade contributes significantly to the outcome. So this is a case where I had said that this uh, human component objection to the activity is valid. Um, well, what Hannah and I have been interested in is not physical enhancement, not enhancement of, of strength or even cognitive ability. We've been interested in what would happen if you could change people's motivation, so you could enhance their motivation. So, in fact, one of the objections to the sort of theme of this film is that our motivational capacities are probably largely genetically determined. So. Vincent <laughs> probably got the, the good hand on the motivational sort of uh, uh, lottery, whereas he may have had the bad hand at the heart lottery. Um, so the kind of premise of this film that motivation is this mysterious kind of property, I think is, is, is also a very simplistic view. So what, what about if we could increase people's motivation, that we could turn people into Vincent-like characters, or we could turn athletes into machines of training, would this undermine the praise 
that we think is, is necessary and, and it is something we should allow. So motivation can be divided into intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation is the psychological mechanism and accompanying phenomenological experience of finding a, an activity rewarding and conferring on the agent the propensity to, to pursue it. The more you're intrinsically motivated to study or work out, the less psychologically burdensome it is. So the more you enjoy it, the more pleasure it gives you while you're doing it. Um, however, extrinsic motivation is at play when we're doing something because it leads to a separable outcome. The experience of being determined enough to sustain effort, despite the task not being enjoyable, but in order to reap its rewards, characterises extrinsic motivation. The kind of grit that's necessary to achieve a goal. This kind of motivation engages self-regulation. Um, so when you have to exert effort to stop checking email or Facebook while you're at work. Um, so Tim Bain and Neil Levy, who's here, um, describe the feeling of effort as the experience of needing to invest energy and willpower in our actions. So willpower here is in interchangeable with self-regulation. They further suggest that the mental effort and physical effort parallel one another, and that mental effort involves a representation of the utilisation and progressive fatigue of mental muscles, what Baumeister has called willpower. Um, now, it's true that, like cognition, many of the differences in motivation are influenced by genetic factors, but the elements of the goal setting seem to imply that in some way <coughs> that the content of our will can change. So too can its strength, our motivation. Whereas the inability to achieve a goal due to limited motivation makes us culpable for our failure, um, the can't versus won't distinction, so the idea that people just won't invest enough terms of trying to produce some kind of outcome. Um, so on this motivation-cognition distinction, Ilyeva and Farrah write, these definitions of cognition and motivation correspond to the can't-won't distinction. The performance of cognitively demanding tasks is subject to limitations of cognitive ability, as when a subject can't perform beyond a certain level, and limitations of motivation, as when a subject won't make the effort to perform beyond a certain level. Um, now, there's been a significant shift in the science of cognitive enhancement, as identified by Ilyeva and Farah, whereby the assumption that stimulants such as amphetamines and methylphenidate, uh, or Ritalin, are, are effective enhancers boosting the attention and executive function of normal individuals, has been displaced. Evidence suggests that many drugs thought to act on cognition in practice have little effect on it, <coughs> while their effects on motivation are significant. So discussing the discrepancy between the use of stimulants such as Ritalin and Adderall for their cognitive enhancement effects and proof that such effects are weak, if, at, if not absent, in normal users, <coughs> Ilyeva and Farah cite motivation enhancement as the reason uh, behind their widespread use. That is, they provide useful non-cognitive advantage or enhancements in motivation. Now, we want to leave time for um, for discussion. So in the paper we discussed the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and the ways in which cognitive enhancers may have different effects on these kinds of motivations. So <coughs> we suggest that drugs like modafinil may act to increase intrinsic motivation, the pleasurableness of activity, where 
substances like amphetamine um, may have uh, effects on extrinsic motivation. Um, so I'll pass over that because I think it's, we don't really have time to discuss that distinction. Now the idea that enhancing motivation either intrinsically or extrinsically um, might undermine uh, the, the deserve and praise um, that's appropriate for a given activity, I think is rather simplistic. In many cases, we expect uh, high levels of performance to appear effortless, the so-called flow state, where actually the activity is occurring through what appears to be an absence of significant extrinsic effort. Um, so the idea that effort itself is necessary for, um, for praise, I think, is not exactly correct. Somebody might respond that the Michael Jordans of the world or the incredible uh, artists that we see painting uh, effortlessly have spent years of ethical training to lead up to that ability to perform in a seemingly effortless way. But the idea that Hannah and I both have is that it's not effort that itself is the important moral property. <coughs> it's commitment and engagement over a period of time with significant opportunity costs. So what is important in uh, a, an achievement being admirable is not necessarily that it's effortful, but that the agent has chosen it according to their values, that is autonomously, and made sacrifices, given up valuable options, and is engaged in that activity in some intrinsic way for it to be deserving of praise. So it might be very easy for an individual to give up a lot of money for a charity, but nonetheless that would be deserving of praise if it involved the sacrifice of significant options and opportunities. So on the idea that we're exploring, motivational enhancement would not be relevant to moral evaluation if it were autonomously chosen and involved the giving up of significant options and sacrifice in the pursuit of some activity. So to, just to return to the implications of this argument for a couple of uh, ordinary cases. On this view, um, people like Oscar Pistorius, who are using uh, significantly enhancing forms of technology, might still be deserving of praise, um, provided that they had engaged and committed themselves to the activity to the same degree as able-bodied um, athletes. So on this view, actually my previous arguments about Pistorius are mistaken, and I think he ought to be able to uh, compete, provided that the level of commitment and engagement are similar to other athletes. But more practically, Johnny Pugh is working on a project on deep brain stimulation and uh, its use in psychiatric <coughs> disorders. And one of these um, applications is in the case of anorexia, where there's been some evidence that deep brain stimulation causes people to eat, you know, which is, in a simple-minded sense, seen to be a cure for anorexia. But there are different ways in which uh, deep brain stimulation might cause somebody to eat. Uh, mm. 
it might enable them to overcome some internal psychological barrier to their desire to eat. Or it might give them a desire to eat. It might create an addiction to eating. So on this account, whether, uh, whether deep brain stimulation or any other uh, effect on the mind uh, is morally important or not, is determined by whether it's consistent with our values, but also our commitment uh, and our goals. So whether it issues from the individual will determine whether it's permissible or not. And it's an open question for me whether deep brain stimulation does or doesn't. I don't know enough about it at this point in time. So the idea of the um, paper is that the no pain, no praise approach is mistaken. It's not that pain is necessary, and it's not that struggle is necessary, and it's not that effort is necessary. Um, we ought to praise people who find ways of making uh, engagement and commitment effortless or requiring less struggle. What's important in, in evaluating their achievement is their commitment and the sacrifices they've made in terms of giving up uh, alternative uh, options and opportunity costs. So the individual who learns to study for large numbers of hours and enjoy it uh, and becomes effortless, um, I believe, is deserving of praise. And if drugs were able to do that, in my view, they wouldn't undermine what really matters. So this is a case where I think the main objection that is behind the Gattaca-style objection and people's rejection of, of performance-enhancing drugs in sport is trying to capture something that is important in life, and that is commitment and engagement and the connection to our values, but effort itself, I think, is not um, a morally relevant